Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me I have Pastor John and Pastor Rick. And this is the conclusion of our Advent series. And the beginning of our Christmas Tide series. Uh, nope, yep. that's not it. This is the conclusion of our Advent series? Yes. Not the, our the... doctrinal series? This is the conclusion of our Advent series. Yes, oh. yes. We are in, we've been in the Advent series for three weeks now. Oh, that's right. Is... December 1st was a while ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Things how it's only November 18th. And, and I'm announcing our 12 part, uh, the 12 podcasts of Christmas series. Yes, yes, yes. As John just mentioned, we are recording this a little bit early. So, uh, but today we are talking about the hypostatic union. Or as John calls it, the hyperstatic union. I don't know. Anyways, we're talking about the hypostatic union. That can union. be dangerous at a gas pump. Yes, it can actually. be. Actually. Yes, it can be. The hypostatic union. Uh, these are these are big words. They have big implications. Um, but... <laughs> John is just shocked with the things that are being discussed right now. First no, it, actually, I was thinking about what Rick Lyons said hypostatic union meant. It's when you rub a balloon on your head and <laughs> stick, it, <laughs> stick the balloon to the ceiling. So, yes, anyway. big words with big implications, as I said. We've been drinking too much coffee this morning. Yeah. yeah. Is, so, Rick, is Rick Lyons really here? No. No, he's not. Oh. First and foremost, what, what does the hypostatic union mean? Um, well, first, we need to say this, when we're talking about the hypostatic union, we're talking about the incarnation, right. which is why we're, we're talking about it as part of our Advent series. And it's really one of the most incredible truths in all of Scripture, um, because our entire salvation hinges on it. Um, the fact of it is, is not just theological, it's also historical. Because, um, you know, one of the things that we've well, let me just actually answer your question. <laughs> what does the hypostatic union mean? You know, it comes from a word, um, hypostasis, which, which only appears four times in the New Testament. And uh, one of those times is Hebrews 1.3, um, when speaking of Christ, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And that's the word translated nature in Hebrews 1.3. And so when we're talking about um, hypostasis, we're talking about the nature of God. Um, and as it uh, was used, it came to refer to the persons of the Godhead. And when we're talking about the hypostatic union, um, we're talking about the nature of the Son of God, his divinity, mm-hmm. uh, as he takes on to himself um, humanity. And okay. so it's the union of two natures, the divine nature of the Son of God with his human nature. Okay. And on the one hand, we've got something that has been an eternal reality, uh, the eternal divinity of, of Christ, the second person of the Godhead, and, and then adding to himself something new that had not been a reality before the incarnation, which is his human nature, which was something that, that had been foretold but hadn't happened until that moment. And so, just boiling it down, the hypostatic union is the union of the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Can we ask questions? All you want. So, uh, Pastor Rick, how do you 
define the immutability of God as he adds a, a human aspect or human dimension to his nature. Yeah. Um, so with immutability being his unchangeableness, we're, you know, we recognize that God, his godness cannot change. You know, if I could use that term, because God cannot change. Um, scripture's very clear about that. And so when he's taking on to himself a human nature, that's not changing his divine nature at all. Um, and if we go back to probably one of the most helpful um, writings ever on the subject, the Chalcedonian definition, um, which is an early church creed that explores the humanity and divinity of Christ. Um, they're very clear that the doctrine of his um, of the incarnation does not in any way mix the two natures so that they become something other than they were. Um, they also can't be separated. Um, and so even though when we're talking about Jesus, we can't separate, you know, we can't say, well, Jesus's humanity did this, but not his divinity. We also can't mix them because if we mix those two natures, then we have confusion hmm. and that would affect his divinity. Hmm. And so we can absolutely talk about the fact that the Son of God never changes and yet takes on something else that doesn't affect who he has always been. I think that's a good explanation. One, one way I've remembered that um, is uh, Dr. Miles' oh, yeah. um, illustration of the hypostatic union to the men's um, program up at Westside we that had was, last year. That was so helpful. It really was. He said the hypostatic union is kind of like uh, uh, um, a Ferrari. So the divine nature being the Ferrari, and a Ferrari goes through a mud puddle and gets covered in mud. He goes, it's still a Ferrari. Yeah. And so it's still completely <laughs> divine, but there's some added dimension to this Ferrari now that, that diminishes the glory of that Ferrari. It's still Ferrari, but it has this, this mud issue now, mm -hmm. which is the human side of that. Even though it was a sinless human side, that's where the yeah. illustration falls apart. But it was sinless human nature, but completely human nature. Yes, yeah, yeah, so that, that's and, helpful to think of it. And that mud on the Ferrari doesn't change the nature of the Ferrari at all. At all. It's still very fast. It is. Yes, and I would take it. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would accept it. <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, you're getting at what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2 when he says um, that Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And that language at first glance has led many people to think that somehow Christ put off some of his divinity in order to become man. But Paul, you know, talks about, John, what you're talking about um, right there and clarifies what he means by emptying. It, what was this emptying? It wasn't getting rid of any aspect of his divinity because, again, God cannot change. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus is the, yes, the same yesterday, today, and forever is, is what it says in Hebrews 12 or, or Hebrews 13. Um, but it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That yes. was an addition. Mm -hmm. That's the mud. That's the mud that's added yeah. to the Ferrari. Right. So it's that subtraction by addition. Yes. I had another question for, for Pastor that. Rick here. Uh <laughs> It says in that same passage that you referred to in Philippians 2 that that Jesus um, was in the form of God. Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God, a, with God a thing to be grasped. What's going on there? So it sounds almost like he's letting go of it. Right. Yeah, we, but we know he's not because 
all throughout his ministry, he's that was that was the thing that kept hanging up the Jews is that he's he's constantly clearly declaring, "I am God," mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. took great issue with that. And so we know he's not giving up any of his godness. Can um, I interject there? Yes, please I was, do. I'm I'm reading through John now. Okay, uh, and one thing that stuck out to me there is is when he was about to be stoned. Mm. And Jesus asked, why are you stoning me? And this was an intentional inclusion by the Apostle John to allow Jesus to say what everybody claims he doesn't say. Hmm. He goes, Jesus was repeating, why are you stoning me? And they said, we're not stoning you because of the great works you're doing. We're stoning you because you think you're God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, right. So all those <laughs> scholars who say uh, he's never claimed to be God. He did. <laughs> Repeatedly and yeah. clearly. Yeah. To the point where the layman in Jerusalem was ready to kill him. Right. So it was obvious to the layman. It wasn't in some backroom theological discussions mm-hmm. that only the Pharisees understood. Yeah. Or the scribes. No. It was on the street in Jerusalem. Jesus was claiming divinity. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so here in Philippians 2, we have a, a Jesus who is not grasping to maintain his glory in heaven. And and he ended up on earth simply because the Father, you know, had him step outside the door and locked it behind him. And he's like, well, where else am I going to go? I better go to earth and save some people. No, Jesus is is from eternity. He is saying, I'm going to go in love for these people, for the glory of the Father. And I'm going to willingly take on to myself this human flesh for the redemption of my people. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's an utter humility aspect going on, which is incredible. And that brings to mind our discussion in the Timothy group last week about the different roles of the Trinity in the incarnation. Yeah. You know, how the mm-hmm. Father was involved, the Spirit was involved, and Jesus was involved in the process of our salvation. You know, and I think that's just a, a beautiful picture. And I think it, it, helps explain or it helps at least understand that verse I read to you from Philippians 2. There yes. wasn't a grasping right. as if there was some disagreement or some kind of uh, sense of unfairness on Jesus' part that he had to go, why do I have to go? Father, send the Spirit. You know, that that wasn't happening. There was com- complete unity in this whole union, the hypostatic union. There was complete unity between all three members of the Godhead. Mm. Which is, I think, is a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of ours of the love of God, the triune God for His people. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, so. A few weeks back, I taught um, Jesus uh, betrayal and arrest in the garden, and yeah. that struck me as as being so amazing. I mean, it just sent it was giving me chills while I was studying it yeah. because Jesus is about to be arrested by up to a thousand armed guards. And then he knows what's coming. And in the face of that kind of torture, he he goes to intentional lengths to secure a, a public confession twice from those guards saying, we're after Jesus, so that he can say to them, let these men go, his people. He was protecting his people even at that moment. And that's the, that's the kind of the love that is behind this incarnation from eternity through his whole ministry to the point of his death. Mm-hmm. He's... He is a savior for his people. Mm. Yeah, this was going on here. Yeah, I like that also. How how he how he John presents that um, in John seventeen mm. in the prayer of Christ. You know, asking the Father to protect these that he's going to be leaving, and Jesus and the Father are 
are united in the effort to protect us. Mm-hmm. The Son prays for it. The Father ensures it. The yes. Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes to make sure mm-hmm. that there is a remnant, if you will, of, of those <laughs> first few disciples. You know, yeah. all of them took off, you know, in a sense. They, as soon as the, the cuffs were put on Jesus, they scattered, mm-hmm. you know, and there's these young disciples running through the, the Mount of Olives, you know, you know, half naked and, you know, running for their lives in their minds. Um, but the Holy Spirit protected that, that seed of, of conversion, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Uh, or that new heart that he had already given them, but yet had not confirmed until Pentecost. Hmm. He was, that was a weird time in the life of the church. Yeah. But the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were committed to the protection of that little band of guys. Right. It was like S- Satan wanted the church aborted. Yeah, and, right then. And Jesus is like, right nope, then. I'm going to make sure they're born. Right, right. <laughs> Pentecost. And they were. And the, yeah. reason, the reason that Jesus could even have cuffs put on his wrists is because of the hypostatic union. He yeah. had wrists yeah. to be cuffed. He had wrists to be pierced. Yeah. So he wasn't just a spirit, is what you're saying. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. finds its way out in a few of the, the, uh, the church councils. <laughs> Yeah, you know, people. Yeah, there's a vested interest in denying the two natures in the one Christ. Yeah, well, and and that that has been the source of almost every cult. Yeah, right? they deny one or the other. Yeah, it's either he's not fully human or he's not fully God, or he's not any human or not any God. Yeah, you know, there's every every possible uh, side of that equation has been put forth to try to disrupt this. I think most critical doctrine in all of Scripture. Yeah. So how does yep. how does a slight change to Christ's divinity or his humanity how does that how does that become dangerous for us? Well, if he's not both, then we're not saved. How so? <laughs> well, uh, there's this idea of mediation and representation in Scripture. Um, there is uh, a need for a mediator between God and man because we have offended God by our sin. Right. And a sinner cannot mediate before God, cannot stand in the court of God and mediate for another sinner. Mm-hmm. This was pictured in the Old Testament sacrificial system. The only thing that satisfied God's holiness was the blood of an innocent. That was kind of the... Uh, if it were a court scene, that would be the defense attorney at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, now though, we have a sinless defense attorney in human form standing before the judge of the universe, uh, mediating a renewed relationship between God and his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had to be a perfect human, a divine and the only way perfection would come would be if he was divine. Yeah. If he were, if he were only human, he would have a human father, and along with that human or that fatherly human input would come the sin nature. Yeah. But Christ was born without a sin nature. Yeah. I like Adam wasn't involved. Yeah, I love I love Matthew's tie to that in Matthew one. He said, "And Joseph didn't know Mary." Yeah. Until who's Mary? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Mary. Who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come to the Christmas service to find out. Yeah, tonight, because tonight's December twenty fourth. Really? Yeah, it's 
crazy. Yeah. I got to yeah. buy some gifts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we change the divinity of Jesus in the slightest degree, we lose the divinity of Jesus. Yeah. And he becomes just another man simply because of the nature of God as unchangeable. If we lose his humanity in any way, we lose our salvation, and we become antichrists. Mm-hmm. Um, first John, we just finished um, a few weeks ago a class on First John, um, at least a class on the doctrine of assurance from First John. And there in chapter 4, he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And so on the one hand, we lose God if we mess with this divinity. On the other, we become antichrists and mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have salvation. If he's not reasons. a man. If he's not a man. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this doctrine is untouchable in the sense of its crucial in the, its crucial place for our yeah. faith. Yeah. It's it's center to our to our gospel. Yeah. Not to our gospel, God's gospel. Mm-hmm. The gospel we embrace. Now, you said something interesting that I think we need to pursue a little bit, flesh out a little bit. That's a good word. Flesh. <laughs> because oh, oh, oh. Oh. Um, you said you said he could be handcuffed because he was man. Yes. And go to the explicit point of that, he can be our savior because he had blood running through his veins. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. My blood mm-hmm. is the covenant, Jesus said. My blood is the new covenant. Yeah. The reason that your sins are forgiven is because I spilt actual physical blood. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 53. Right. This actually happened. And he he was a man that had flesh and blood, and he died, breathed his last, spilt his blood, which was accepted by the Father in the courtroom of heaven as payment for sin. Yes. He That couldn't have happened unless he was human. Right. I mean, if he was... I mean, I don't know, a, a, a vision of some have tried to describe his humanity, you know, not really flesh and blood, that wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Cut the arm and no blood would have come out. Mm-hmm. So his humanity, to, back to your original question, Jeremy, his humanity was essential, his divinity was essential. Without both, there is no salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Critical. Yeah. 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 That's cool. And so, I mean, what I was thinking while you were talking about that is, it, you know, as God's accepting this in heaven, this is these are the the animal types that He accepted on earth for that period of time with Israel, foreshadowed the incarnation mm-hmm. in its yeah. necessity, yeah. in all of those bloody sacrifices that took place. And, and Hebrews is a wonderful commentary on all that. Yeah, yeah. you know, not, not He didn't shed the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood. Without which there is no yeah, forgiveness. There yeah. is no forgiveness mm-hmm. without the shedding of blood. Yeah. You know, in the Old Testament was blood of bulls and goats. In the New Testament, there's only one. Yeah. That's why it's a, it, by the way, that's why it is a final sacrifice is because of the eternal nature of, of Jesus. His sacrifice mm-hmm. is eternal because he's eternal. Mm-hmm. The blood of bulls and goats was temporary because they were temporary. They lived and died, and that's it. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't come back out of the grave. They were dead and gone. Mm-hmm. Jesus, on the other hand, his blood is eternal and infinite, and not only in in uh, longevity but in importance. Mm-hmm. It is uh, eternally and infinitely important to have a divine human savior. Yeah, yeah. and that's why Christmas is so amazing. 
Yeah, it's it's not you know the Victorian traditions we enjoy. That's fine, and I, you know like we mentioned on the podcast last week, I thought um, they were German traditions. They were not Victorian. Well, right. it dep- maybe uh, German Victorian, just to be specific. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> they have their place and point to these realities, but you know what? Are, this discussion right now, what we're talking about is why Christmas is so yeah. great, yeah. and why we should celebrate it. Yes, yeah. right. I want to I want to read a quote from Mark Jones's book Knowing Christ which is a, a fantastic book but I want to read this quote and then ask you a question from it. So he says Simon of Cassia remarked that there is no room in the inn for the child miraculously born. The earth does not receive its god. He has no suitable dwelling place in the world. He whom heaven and earth cannot contain lies in a manger. He slept in a feeding trough and drank from the breast of a woman to whom he gave life. He physically depended on someone who utterly depended upon him. <laughs> that gives me chills just, just thinking about that. How, yeah. how should the humiliation of Christ or, or, or the coming of Christ... Condescension. Condescension of Christ change how we think about this season? Well, what you just said, that you got chills, you know, reading that because of just the sheer amazingness of the thought, Um, I think that's one thing that we should be inspired to do is to meditate and to actually wonder, you know. um, Like Mary, treasuring these things in her heart. Mm -hmm. right. She knew them. She knew it. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Mary's shoes. (laughs) She knew her child in her womb was her savior. Yeah. The song of Mary. She says yeah. it. Yes. She knew it. Can you imagine raising that kid? <laughs> you know, I think that's what Mark Lowry is trying to bring out in his song, Mary, Did You Know? Yeah. And the, those ideas. The answer is yes. Should, yeah. She did. <laughs> well, there you go, Mark. If you're listening, <laughs> she knew. Um, we did, you know, we want, we don't wonder all that well anymore. We're in an unparalleled age of, technological, you know, advancement. And there are so many crazy things going on all over the place that we really don't wonder the way that we should. And by meditating on these things, there's something of that godly wonder that, that is at the heart of how we should respond to Christmas. Yeah. And, and in that sense, we're following in the steps of the Magi who they, they saw and they beheld and they fell down and they worshiped. Yeah. And I, I love the story of um, uh, I think it's Elizabeth who was mm. who came into the the presence of Mary when she was six months pregnant. Yeah. Um, no, Elizabeth was six months pregnant, and Mary had just become pregnant, mm-hmm. and um, the infant in her womb jumped. It said, in the presence of mm-hmm. this embryo that was in Mary's womb, and. Um, Elizabeth said, you know, how is it that you have blessed me in such a way that the person who's carrying, who, the person who is the mother of my Lord yeah. comes to me? Yeah. It's like, Elizabeth knew. Yeah. Mary knew. And I know Joseph knew. You know, maybe not at this point, but by the time Jesus was born, Joseph knew. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth's husbands knew. Husband knew. It was... Yeah. It's it's spectacular. Yeah. The the advent and 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 like Rick was saying, 
meditating on it, the beauty of it, the 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 love in it, the 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 brilliance of the plan of salvation yeah. coming together in the hypostatic union. Yeah. And some of the some of the songs that we sing during this season are so theologically rich. Hark Hark the Herald the Angels sing, right? Hail incarnate deity just talking about and singing about this idea of, of the hypostatic yes. union. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think about the two old people, the Christmas old. I remember um, a professor from Masters um, th- when he was he was on the steps of the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Well, uh, near near the temple in Jerusalem, because now now that's gone. Um, but he was he just started preaching on Luke two, um, just right there on the spot. And his whole point was Christmas is for old people. Hmm. You look at Simon. Uh, and you look yeah. at um, you look at Anna, these, this old man and this old woman, and what did they do? You know, Simon's reaction was, "Okay, Lord, you can take me home now. <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen the coming one. I can yeah. die." Yeah. And Anna, and this is instructive for us because she's wise, right? She's about the most holy woman on earth at this point, just about you know, just fasting and praying night and day yeah. for decades. And it says that she um, began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all. Who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, oh. and so that, that's another very appropriate response for us. And when we think of the humiliation of Christ, is to speak of Him mm-hmm. to all who are waiting for Him. So speak among ourselves in the church, but also for those who don't know they're waiting for Him yet because they haven't been drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's an evangelistic move. Yeah. So <clears throat> we started the 2019 year. With you two guys, we, we talked about uh, some goals that you guys wanted to accomplish and some goals that you would like to uh, see the church accomplish. And on that podcast, we talked about the most important goal, which was knowing Christ. Um, as we conclude 2019 and as we get ready for 2020, which is weird to think about, what are some words of encouragement that you would have for the people of Sun Valley Church? Um, you know, as we're thinking through what the new year might hold, what the new decade might hold, really, um, I think recognizing that for all the things we'd like to see, um, there is one main thing that gives meaning to all the other things that are worth pursuing. And so um, connecting our pursuits in this new year with Jesus and his pursuit of us by coming to earth in the incarnation, I think that would be a very fruitful way to meditate on uh, on what it is we'd like to see happen in our lives, in the church. Um, and actually, that's another thing. What, w- what would we like to see happen in the church? Not just, not just her leaders. Um, what would they like to see happen? But the people of Sun Valley Church, what would they like to see God do as we enter into this new decade? Um, because any of it, is contingent on the incarnation. And so, and, and that Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is still incarnate mm-hmm. in heaven. And he is the one um, apart from whom none of those things can happen. Mm-hmm. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. So that would be my my chief encouragement. Mm-hmm. And since we're, um, you know, recording here at the tail end of the, the Advent season, I, I would like to say this, <clears throat> uh, and I think it's, you know, well connected here. Speaking of the announcement of the 
birth of the Savior to the shepherds in Luke 2. It says in Luke 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, And the angel said to them, that is the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, sure. who is Christ the Lord. It's not Christ, period. It's not, you know, Christ the, the guy. Or it, he's Christ the Lord, mm-hmm. and he's the Savior. Mm-hmm. Those two titles, Lord and Savior, uh, should change everything about our lives. Everything, from the from moment we wake up um, until the next morning we wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, even our sleep should be changed by that fact. Um, if he is Lord, we should be able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if he is Lord, we should live every moment of every day for him. If he is Savior, we should live that way in daily deep gratitude. He is Lord and Savior. So my encouragement to Sun Valley Church is live in such a way uh, that reflects this truth. You serve the Lord and Savior. It, effect, it should affect how you relate to your, your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your boss, yeah. uh, your coworkers, how you handle your money, how you handle your leisure. He is Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. And he has revealed himself to us in this book. Part of submitting to his lordship is is saturating ourselves with him in this book. And so make this book a big part of 2020. Mm-hmm. Make living for your Lord and Savior the centerpiece of 2020. Mm-hmm. That would be my encouragement. And I think, you know, that's so, that's so profound because, mm-hmm. like, I know that a number of you, Sun Valley Church, deal with serious anxiety. And as John's talking about um, how his lordship and being Lord and Savior actually impacts even our sleep, mm-hmm. um, you, I know many of you are probably nervous and afraid about what's going to happen, you know, in this new year, maybe this new decade. You know, yeah. you don't know what the future holds, and that's a source of anxiety. And one of the things I repeat, you know, I repeat just out of Psalm 4 to my kids when they're scared at night is in peace. I will both lie down and sleep because you, O Lord, mm-hmm. make me dwell in safety. Mm-hmm. And if, if Jesus, the Son of God, um, would leave heaven for earth in order to come get you, um, now that he's back in heaven, he's not going to lose you. So we I can, will return. We, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So we can actually, <laughs> we, can, we can rest and yeah. labor all no, no matter what the circumstances, mm-hmm. right? We can we can rest, mm-hmm. and that's easier said than done. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, it is true. Yeah, it is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, church, we look forward to being with you tonight as we celebrate the Christmas season at our Christmas Eve service. Uh, Christ took on flesh; He became one of us in order that He could bear our sins on that tree that he could rise and uh, give us righteousness which is something that we we love to sing about so we look forward to being with you tonight and Sunday and next year I guess as we begin 2020 so have a great day Sunday Church <laughs>